Hey, wonderfuls, welcome to episode 369 of the JV Club with my fantastic guest, Amber Hunt of The Accused Podcast. She is uh, such a fantastic reporter, such a wonderful storyteller, um, and is just doing good things in the world. I have been a huge fan of her podcast since day one of the trailer dropping of Accused, and uh, the latest season is extraordinary as well. We will talk more about that uh, in some detail on this episode because I had to fangirl fangirl alert uh so terrific terrific she and her uh whole team amanda uh and her whole team at accused are just are just fantastic so um please know this is a huge celebration of that and uh, if you are not listening to that and are interested in a uh a new podcast in your life, I encourage you to check it out. I want to thank, uh, again, those of you who have been dropping me emails from time to time during this quarantine. Um, They have been so, so, so wonderful and important to me personally to read and feel connected. Um, I'm just so, so pleased and, and, and lucky to be connected to you guys in that way and to hear how everybody's doing, uh, both the good and the bad. It feels uh, important. It feels like an important time to kind of be paying attention to that and and to be making a record. Um, that's kind of what I've been thinking about, too. And, and I've talked about it on recent podcast episodes as well. So kind of checking in with, with ourselves and the world. Okay, without further ado, please enjoy this episode and I will talk to you soon. love to start my podcast talking about something like furlough, which is just a dry money slash work related topic that I'm now really drilling down into because I didn't know that it was, is that, is that something, do you know, like company, can companies, excuse me, just, um, is it like an arbitrary decision? Is it, you know, one week on one week off or does for, or can it just mean this is what our company is doing and this is how we define furlough. It's more the latter and it kind of depends. There are state laws that that dictate things, which is also super exciting to talk about. I was <laughs> no, furloughed what once am I before. Doing to you? No, it's okay. And um I mean the newspaper industry has gone through such Am I allowed to swear? Oh, for sure. For okay, sure. cuz I I didn't remember. The newspaper industry has gone through such shit that uh, we furloughs are not a new thing, but usually it's like you'll be furloughed for a week, a year. Uh, this right. time we're getting furloughed for 25% of this quarter. Uh, so it's it's much more extensive than um, I would have envisioned <laughs> earlier. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. you know, so much else has changed. And every time it's happened, I've just been like, OK, but I have a job. I'm all right. <laughs> The, the whole the, the whole uh, sort of scope and landscape of journalism is something that I've been very much uh, exposed to just by virtue of my um, fiance slash partner of five years, et cetera, et cetera, who was um, an editor in chief of the SF Weekly and then, you know, has been a journalist for 20 years. And it really is sort of trying to understand what being a journalist means, I think, um, as many, many of his colleagues, and I'm sure many of your colleagues are as well, 
just as you know as everything's changed and podcasting being this kind of wonderful beacon for some publications yeah yeah i mean i've been really lucky with the job that i have um so when when this pandemic nightmare started i i was thrown off at home because suddenly i'm home all the time but the the hardest part was everything changed at work so because all I was doing was this podcast accused, we look at cold cases, and I'm pretty much left alone. I'm, I'm, that's all I do. And now mm. I'm on the daily side again, and uh, and it's it's tough to adjust to doing breaking news when you're used to working a year on a story. Oh my God, absolutely. Has your relationship changed with sort of how much you can? kind of take I, I I say just to predicate a little bit I say this having done a, a very very brief stint at HuffPost Live when the Huffington Post launched this online network and um, the listeners to my podcast have heard me say before that I found out so quickly that I am not a daily news person nor do I have you know to, to sort of be fast-tracked and and dropped into an environment where suddenly I'm reporting on uh, Sandy Hook is just beyond absurd. And, you know, I didn't join their team as a person who considered themselves a journalist at all. And I was very transparent about that. Um, And so when the shit started going down that fateful year of the hurricane and Sandy Hook and the Obama uh, reelection and, you know, just it was just a kind of a crazy six months until you realize that every six months since then has probably been crazier. Um, But I just couldn't, I just didn't, I was, I was so tired and I was so emotionally tired. Um, I just, it's, it was such a different experience than, yeah, than sort of long form reporting. Do you, and then now you're adjusting to that on top of, yes, suddenly you're home and, and, you know, you're also a full-time mom and uh, how's, how's your emotional (laughs) <laughs> fatigue. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, it hit me really hard. So I did used to do daily work and I was I was really good at it. That's what I did probably, you know, the first 15 years of my career. And I mostly covered crime, which is about as fast paced as it gets, especially yeah. because I was in Detroit a long time. So, I mean, sure. there were days I'd have multiple stories. I, I remember when I was in Port Huron, I think my record was 12 stories in one day. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure half of them were terrible but you know (laughs) it was still I I was busting it and I was fine then but then once I started doing this longer form it just felt like a much better fit for how I like to operate and how I like to take in so much information before I try and make sense of it and put it back out into the world so I, I have a harder time now Number one, I don't want to do it because nobody wants to feel like they're backsliding in their career. I want to help my colleagues, don't get me wrong. But, you know, you you move past something and you're like, woohoo. And then when you have to do it again, (laughs) it kind of sucks. But um, but there was that also, though, you know, I I just I like not needing to feel any pressure to be first. I, I like being able to actually sit there and have my eureka moments and slowly piece together a story um, and do it right. And yeah. it's it's a pain in the ass to go back. But I do think we'll be, we'll be returning 
um, at some point, it's just a matter of like everybody else, we're just waiting to figure out when. Sure. Is there what's it's been really interesting to listen to in my case, that's sort of what I how I get information is is through podcasts I just you know don't watch television news and I'll I'll sort of scan my iPhone every few days but immediately identify that probably most of it is going to be upsetting without me being able to lend much of a hand to anything um I think a lot of us are going through that um but it's been really interesting to sort of hear the the way that people like you and people like, you know, Jad Abumrad has been, you know, how they've been dealing with um, reporting and or not reporting on the pandemic. Um, you know, Jonathan Goldstein, who has a wonderful podcast called Heavyweight, is, you know, in his closet with a blanket over his head, trying to help connect people even within this period of time, like just over the phone. Can I help you connect with someone that you regret uh, not having contact with. Um, and so obviously the the scope of like how journalists are reacting to all of this is probably as vast as can be imagined. But at your paper, do you feel like there is a sense of optimism? Do you feel like people are, do you feel like the people in your community are more informed on, on, in any kind of level that makes you feel like you anticipate when any of this is going to change, shift, you know? No, I don't feel like I, the the response has been incredibly varied. And because we aren't in the same place anymore, it's really hard to gauge how other people are handling things. It seems yeah. like a lot of my colleagues are just throwing themselves into work and they're doing it like they're exhausting me and I'm just watching them, you know, like they, they are. <laughs> and, and there was a time in my career where that would totally have been me, too. I mean, I remember, you know, the underwear bomber. You remember that in Detroit? Um, yes. I, I was uh, crouched at, um, in my dad's driveway on the cell phone on Christmas reporting that story. I mean. Um, so they're more in that mode and I'm more in like shell shocked what the fuck is going on mode. Right, right, um, right. But I wouldn't say I don't feel like anybody really has a grasp on what's coming next. Um, and part of I mean, that's just because nobody at the top does. So yeah. I, I don't trust anything anybody says at this point. Yeah. No, no kidding. Can you put in like when? a happy like song right there? Yeah. I don't trust anyone. It's the music that's playing in all of our heads. So don't worry. Um, that that idea of the reporter who's crouched on their driveway um, at Christmas feels very... <laughs> the character of the reporter for I think people who don't have a, an idea of, of of what it really means to to be a journalist and to to be working a beat like crime um <laughs> did you have moments in the beginning where you sort of saw yourself from the outside and and moments where you're like now this is what people think I do every day versus like now this is what it really is oh sure yeah I've got great anecdotes that uh, come out in weird times, like, you know, uh, the time I was at the scene when the body was discovered of a girl who'd been missing for 23 years. And that, but those are so few and far between. Um, they're highlights of the career. They're not how the career goes. Where I think I've been the most aware of uh, is right now, because I'm a crime reporter. I have six tattoos. My hair is purple right now. 
I get along very well with cops because I swear like a fucking sailor. So people just assume that I'm I'm hard. And when this happened, I just completely wanted to shut down. And yeah. and so I think it was even screwing with my own like self perception because it's not, I wouldn't, if you had told me that this was coming, I would have assumed I would have handled it much better. Mm. And, and I didn't, I just, I just kept, I don't mean to get like too personal too fast, but I wear this on my sleeve. My mom died when I was 12. So as soon as this shit started going, I'm looking at my six-year-old son, like, I don't, I don't want to leave him. You know, I don't want him to have to grow up that way. So that, that just made me focus so much on him that I couldn't handle work. So I took a vacation, um, took like a week. And then when they said we had to furlough anyway, I was like, you know what, just roll that right in. And right. Then, but now I, I'm feeling like much more grounded. I don't feel like, um, you know, death is waiting around the corner, but I've got my baggage. I've covered crime a long time and, and there's, there's shit that comes with that psychologically and it kind of all came out at once. Well, that's one of the things that I think was so special about your podcast, Accused. Um, and again, just to kind of, for, for those of you who maybe are sort of coming at this more from a, I listen to comedy podcasts or I listen to Max Fun podcasts um, versus someone like me who that f- feels like my work. So then I am the one of the many weird women who... Uh, and that's to, why I don't listen to many true crimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's how. I mean, it really. Um, did you listen to? Have you have you listened? To, this is how. This is how I consume books. It's gotten very embarrassing. I can talk about it with Rebecca Lavoie. She's exactly the same. But me saying, "Did you listen to the book about da da da?" Like it doesn't even occur to me to say read. <laughs> um, in part because I have a neck issue, which makes it actually hard for me to just hold a book up in front of myself, and it makes me feel like an invalid old lady. So I can you know, tell myself like, look at me doing the laundry and listening. I'm great. Um, but, but, uh, that, that was a, that was a great book. Rachel, I can't, I'm blanking on her name, but she, it was, it was, um, she just did it recently. It was like four, four different women through history, you know, to as recently as currently, but also like connected to Sharon Tate, connected to oh, wow. uh, the Nutshell Studies. Um, and, 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 and so she profiles these different women who are very drawn to, crime on some level and oh and also um uh uh lori lori from the she's she's with damien from west memphis three she the the one who sort of changed everything for him by becoming a huge advocate on his behalf and like engaging peter jackson and people like that and now they're married at any rate point being i'm a huge rambler not an interviewer um uh, this idea of kind of being able to both be attracted to those kinds of stories and also be able to step back and go well my analytical mind probably the same one that's drawn to these kinds of stories is also very curious about why why am i what you know what is it about me is there this happened to me later in life is it because you know i started experiencing a sense of mortality through my mom's illness that you know totally changed the way I see the world and 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 she does a really nice job I'll um I'll look it up but she does a uh, I think it's called strange appetites I'll look it up but it's a it's a really interesting yeah you've heard do you know it uh no no uh because I have uh, I, I know there's this new thing called the Harry Potter books that I've started reading uh-huh. <laughs> that is where my life is right now I need Excellent. fantasy at the moment sure and and that's where I am 
I don't blame you at all. Now I just feel like I have to say, okay, Rachel Monroe, Savage Appetites is what it's called. Not Strange Appetites, Savage Appetites. No, that uh, sounds really interesting. But that's, so So that feels like the kind of gross psych 101, you know, um, fake uh, psychology question that that I'm sure you get asked all the time, which is just another way of asking it, I guess, which is totally obnoxious. But uh, do people say like, oh, OK, is that what drew you to reporting on crime? Like is, is sort of having um, a prof- something profound, uh, a profound loss happen as a young person? Does that attract you to other people's losses? And do you answer, fuck you, I'm more complicated than that when someone <laughs> asks you? <laughs> no, I'm very simple. No, actually, great, um, great, great, I mean, great. there were a lot of... Um, there were a lot of losses early on. The The first one I that hit me really hard was I had a, a set of cousins uh, and one of them had been born two months, two weeks, two days and two hours apart from me. So we were very, very close. And, um, and she died of Rice syndrome when we were seven. And mm-hmm. when, my, when my mom told me, I just sat there and she's bawling. And at some point she says, why aren't you crying? And I, I just sat there. I was, I, do, I don't know. And then for the rest of the year, I was a fucking mess. And I was in the, you know, school counselor's office and they're suggesting these books on grief and I'm writing poems about, you know, uh, funerals. And um, so I think, I think that that was really jarring for me at such a young age. And uh, just the realization that, you know, I, that's only one year older than my son. Like I can't, he's been exposed to nothing like that. Yeah. And, uh, and then the, you know, the mom rolls into it. And around the time that my mom got sick, um, I had started a newspaper at my junior high. Um, and so she got to see my early writing, but it, it was like, it kind of came together where I, I, I wanted to tell people stories. So, that's pretty much, I mean, there's, there's not, there's not much more you can learn about a person, like anything deeper that you can learn um, than when you hear about something so traumatic in their lives and how they overcame it, how they're dealing with it. um, And the injustice that it's done by choice, that somebody makes a choice to cause that pain Mm. is I think why I've been pretty drawn to it. Um, I'm, I'm overly empathetic, uh, probably to a fault. And when people tell me these stories, I, I write them, I mean, I've, I write them well. And so it feels like it's sort of my duty to get that across. Mm-hmm. So I, I would try sometimes to get away from crime reporting, thinking it would be better for my mental health. But the fact is I'm drawn to it. I do it well, and um, and the people that I write about have been so appreciative that it's hard it's hard to imagine walking away from it. Sure, I realized that that is where I was going with what ever series of non sequiturs took me back around to realizing I never said what I was going to say, which is that accused, uh, I think was was so special and remains so special because you have been open about 
your relationship to the material and that it isn't as simple as, well, when you've been around as long as I've been around, you get so hard on the outside. You don't even feel it anymore. Like the, the, the willingness that you had to talk about the fact that it was affecting you and that you felt a responsibility to this, this, this person um, and to the family and to, you know, potentially wrongfully accused people who were um, swept up in, in the tragedy, that that was that you that you did have nightmares, that you didn't, you know, that you weren't just this person that that becomes this kind of like noir detective who can only think about something uh, kind of intellectually instead of emotionally. And I think that's what's so fascinating and kind of um, that's 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 tough for me because I'm so empathetic that my feeling of empathy towards you for being an empathetic person who puts yourself in situations I couldn't handle makes me like, oh, God, I want to take care of her. Oh, this is <laughs> so a really shitty cycle. <laughs> yeah, it's a really, really bad cycle. It's a really bad cycle. Um, but that is such a that's such it's a it just feels like um, the kind of combination that you would sort of hope would exist for someone who is taking on the responsibility of in some way representing someone who's no longer alive and and telling that story. You want to, to have somebody with that kind of sensitivity, but at the same time, you know, how does someone with that sensitivity w wake up to some of that stuff? I mean, the idea of I can I can wrap my head around journalism. I can wrap my head around reporting. Um, I can even wrap my head around sort of longer term. This thing happened some years in the past, and so there's a separation from it that that maybe helps me process other people's grief and process what happened. But the idea of getting a call and being told like this shooting occurred. Uh, why don't you head down and see what you can find out or why don't you make some calls um, and the immediacy and freshness of that is so like emotionally intimidating to me that is why I like doing what I'm doing now there's a there's some distance between the cold cases and it, even though the grief that the families feel is still palpable and you know on some days debilitating for them for the most part, they've been able to wrap their heads around it and move on, and I can talk to them um, about how they've survived it. And the the fresh stuff that I was doing in Detroit was, I didn't realize how much it was hitting me until I um, I got a fellowship at uh, University of Michigan called the Knight Wallace Fellowship. And so I got to take a year off and just take classes. And, you know, it's like winning the journalism lottery. Sure. I was driving around one day and realized that I was not imagining somebody in the car next to me ready to pull a gun on me. Oof. And I thought, oh, that's probably not a normal thing to have been thinking about. <laughs> and it oh just it didn't occur to me until after it, it was gone that, oh, you know, Secondary trauma is a real thing. So I'm trying to yeah. be, I've been kind of open about this, um, uh, like how I've been feeling these past few weeks, because I don't want to be one of those people who talks about secondary trauma and, um, and, and then acts like everything's fine. Like we need, to, we need to be open so that other people know that what they're feeling is normal and fine and you will get through it. If you pretend it doesn't affect you, it doesn't matter how much lip service you give to it. You're not helping anyone. So, 
Which is also kind of takes us back to the idea of, of some sort of transformation in certain areas of journalism because of podcasting, which is this idea of, oh, wait, it's my voice, it's my story, and it turns out people actually do want to have a sense of me, who I am, why I'm telling this story, and how I feel about it. And I know for you know friends of mine who have been reporters for a long time, that adjustment felt like you know, a very mild betrayal of the idea of, of, of objectivity, um, to which I've always, being on my, like, mushy-gushy, I love people's personal stories side, said, you know, no, 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 I've always been over here. I'm vi- I want to know, I want you to put your, your own personality, whatever that means to you, into something, because it will be more meaningful and it will anchor me more to the telling of the story if I have that. Um, but I think you maybe have even said something about that on, on the podcast. Like, oh, you know, the, the beginning part becomes like, in fact, did you say that, that when you when you started to accuse that that uh, that you and your producer uh, and your team were sort of trying to figure out how much of you would be infused? Yeah, I think. Uh, I think and vice versa. versa? At minimum, that's in the live episode uh, at the end of the first season. I don't remember if I scripted it as well, but (laughs) but that's the truth. I had written a couple drafts of the first episode, and, and, you know, we were coming at this with not only no experience, but no, you know, no support from people who had done this before. Um, So I had very gung-ho and supportive editors at the time, but nobody knew what they were doing and that includes me so I started to write the first episode and and recorded a draft of it and it was just a little it was too clinical and so finally I just had like this sort of eureka moment where I said you know I've got I've got to be part of the story uh, because when when it's your voice and not only that but it is your investigative work it feels tortured to try and do it entirely in third person so it made it so much easier for me to tell that story i still don't love reading a lot of first person uh reporting in print but Mm. um it it depends on you know like if it's a travel story or whatever but if you're if i'm reading news like my gut is just it i kind of cringe a little when it goes into first person but in the podcast world it feels it feels right um, because it's not just about us being objective. I, I don't believe anybody's objective. So for me, it's always it's always been a matter of like knowing my biases and trying to embrace them and push against them. And if I'm able to tell you my biases, then I'm being more honest and you can know where I'm coming from and you can value or devalue what I'm telling you based on that so for me it was it was quite a revelation but it is a fine line figuring out how much to share and how much not to because I've heard some where it just becomes all about them I'm standing (laughs) outside of so-and-so's house I don't give a fuck where you're standing dude you know right I mean (laughs) when you make it about yourself I think it's kind of gross but when you are telling the story and, and it actually helps um, the storytelling process to just include your thoughts on it or uh, the, the reporting process, then I say that helps. 
Yeah. Now, how many of these uh, questions were you forced to ask yourself um, at 12 when you were creating the hard-hitting journalism of uh, your school? I, I believe I um, reviewed Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael. <laughs> and I also, I did write a very hard-hitting piece about AIDS having oh, oh, been called oh. gay cancer at first. This was a revelation to me. Um, yeah. Oh my yeah. God. No, it, at that point, I was excited to be writing. I started writing poetry when I, I was in the third grade. And it it was always, like, I have bound books of short stories and poems that I wrote when I was a kid. So when I started to write for a newspaper, even a crappy middle school one, it it was just this amazing opportunity to do what I love doing and spreading it and being able to spread it and then eventually getting paid for it, which was like awesome. So I, I just love to write. Okay, we're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. I listen to Bullseye because Jesse always has really good questions. What did John Malkovich wear when he was 20? <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. There's always that moment where Jesse asks a question that the person he's interviewing has not thought of before. I don't think anyone's ever said that to me or acknowledged that to me, and that is so real. Bullseye, interviews with creators you love and creators you need to know. From MaximumFun.org and NPR. Where was your junior high? What, uh, let's put it in the context of where you were uh, a, a, a middle schooler and a high schooler. I moved around so much, it's stupid. I went to seven, no, 12 schools in seven states by the time I graduated high school. Um, and one of, one of the cities was Tucson, which I think is where you're... Oh, right on. That was one of my well, favorite. How long were you there? Six months. <laughs> <laughs> oh, long time. You had, that was one of the longer uh, stops. Yeah, yeah. I was there for half of fourth grade. Oh, my God. Where did you go to school? Do you even remember? Thornydale Elementary. Oh, sure. You were out there. <laughs> my sister was, what is it, Tortilla High School or something? Tortellini. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, there's <laughs> I'm sure there isn't and never was a tortilla high school. <laughs> that being said that I have particular fondness for you saying that because my elementary school was, in fact, across the street from a flour tortilla factory. And we would go over there and and get free tortillas when we were on our. Yeah, when we were on our, our little um, outings, our little school outings is were you an army brat? Were you an Air Force brat? Or is it n neither of those? When I talk about um, childhood trauma, it also includes uh, my parents having gotten divorced. No big deal. Everybody's parents got divorced. But my mom remarried and she remarried a guy in the Marines. And then I bounced back and forth from my mom and her new husband to my dad and soon his new wife. And so that's pretty much it. And it was it was a lot of moving around. I lived in North Carolina, Tennessee, Illinois, Arizona. But where this uh, middle school thing happened with the newspaper, I was in Georgia. And Georgia was one of the longer stays. I was there from fourth through ninth grade. Oh, so you really did. You had a, some seminal time and, and 
um, rites of passage there, and then you were yanked from there at another super hard time to pick up and just move elsewhere. Yeah, that was really fun. So I, I, when my mom died when I was 12, I stayed with my stepdad because uh, I had called him dad for eight years. And, uh, yeah. and then he kicked me out when I was 14, and I uh, had to go move with my dad um, in Iowa. So then I finished up in Iowa. And when you say he kicked you out, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> you were 14. Yeah, it means that he, um, he, he was married within a year, and uh, I didn't get along very well with the new wife. How, how not understandable. Yeah, yeah, so it was weird. I, I, when I called them my parental units, I wasn't just being a teenage dick. They actually weren't related <laughs> to me, so, <laughs> so yeah. And how was the shift from, from Atlanta to Iowa? Well, that how that happened was um, I went to stay with my dad for a month in the summer, which is something I did every single year. And then my stepdad just sent my shit after me. So it was mm. very abrupt. Um, and I had to leave behind a, a boyfriend and all my school friends. And so it was, like, it's, it's pretty obvious when you look at my high school transcripts, because I go from like straight A's to nearly failing in my sophomore year to A's again. Um, I bounced back, but the sophomore year was awful. That was rough. Other than being a, a, a bad student for that year, what were you doing to cope? What were your coping mechanisms for adjusting if indeed you had any? I mean, obviously we all do, but. Well, we do. I didn't, um, I didn't have anybody really to talk to because my dad didn't like talking about my mom because of the divorce. I had a best friend who's still my best friend. Her name's Emily Batcher. And I would come up to her on any given day and say, it's going to be an amber shit day. And she would say, okay. And what it meant was that at some point during the day, I was going to break down crying and she was going to come hug me. And this was, this was in Iowa. Or this was still in Georgia. That was Iowa. Yeah. Okay. How did you, um, how did you remember how you came to be friends with, with, with Emily? I had lived in Iowa for six months in third grade. She was in my class then. And then I moved around 47 times. Oh my God. I got there and the very first day that I started school uh, was back in her district and she came up to me in the locker room and said, hey, didn't you used to live here? Oh. And I did not, I, I didn't remember her, um, but I remembered where she lived because I, she lived close to the school. So I was able to like piece together um, and we've been, we've been best friends ever since. I just went to Madison to help her through a breakup. <laughs> so. Oh, shout out. Well, we've got a surprise for you. Emily, could you come in here? It's not as fun that you're at my house for some reason during the quarantine and not at Amber's. I didn't think this through. I didn't think this through. Um, that's, that's so, that's so, I, don't, I guess it's not serendipity because it was going to happen that way, but just that she remembered you and that there was anything to, to sort of land on after a few months, anything at all to feel like, oh, I'm not starting from complete and total scratch with this one person after sort of everything that's that's happened. No, um, she was great. She kept me sane. And I also joined the newspaper staff and uh, and that that. 
I would skip school just to spend the day in the newspaper room. That's how much of a dork I was. What uh, do you? What was it? I mean, what was it about? You just loved. You love telling stories. Uh, obviously, if you liked writing poetry, um, you could have fallen into the. You know, under the spell of like, I just want to create something from absolutely nothing. I'm going to write these quote unquote Harry Potter books. <laughs> uh, I keep hearing about. Um, but but you know it feels like a different because i've i've done both and they both appeal to me but i i really feel like it's a different kind of part of my brain that's working when when it's when it's totally fact based and when it's like you know reporting stories versus just sort of like pure imagination stuff i think part of it for me is that i i have grown up with this strange it's not really a fear of mortality, but almost, you know, an obsession with it. And sure. when my mom died, there, you know, there was an obituary and that was it. Not a lot of people know who she is. For me to write people's real stories is a way to uh, let them have an imprint on the world. And I, I just like doing that. Plus, the stories have been, I mean, they're always when you drill down into any given person's life, there are beautiful stories to tell. I don't need to make them up, you know? I would love to, some of them, especially the crime ones, I would love to to write fiction just so I can put an ending on a few stories. Mm, Because real life doesn't always give you clean endings. But, you know, I think my biggest fear is just not having made an impact. So I want to help other people make their impact. Absolutely. Were you were you doing things outside of, uh, I mean, you said you were spending so much time at the newspaper. Did you go through any sort of kind of like rebellious sort of fuck you world um, as a teenager? Did you, or did you get that out of the way because your mom passed away when she did? No, I think I'm have still going phase? through it, Janet. <laughs> Yeah, no, I tell my I tell my six year old son, you have to learn the rules, honey, before you can break them. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm all about breaking the rules. I my sophomore year, I was re- I seriously, God damn, this is worse than a therapy session. But I um, I know I'm awful. Just <laughs> awful. I I the, the high school boyfriend, he was everything. He was so important. Uh, And I was to him. And we were going to run away. And I was even stocking up like supplies in my fucking closet. And and that that was my rebellion at the time. And then it started to occur to me I might not like survive that. So I ended up not running away. And um, and then I mean. The rebellion, the rebellious part just never quite went away. I still feel yeah. like a punk 14-year-old. Ugh, I do too. And I feel like I behave that way around police officers and stuff. Maybe that's most of us. I don't know. But I definitely have always been the kid who was like, any second now I'm going to get caught doing this thing. And then that's just sort of carried over through adulthood. And I look like the just most benign vanilla soccer mom now. And I still... Like can't I refuse? And part maybe part of it is the rebellion against not what like against want you know looking like that. Sure. There's part of me that's like, 
No, if you knew what was lurking underneath the surface, you would arrest me. Um, but but uh, yeah, I, I I think this the, the idea of 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 having that like weird kind of piercing of this veil that most young people don't have um sullied or whatever when when you lose someone young um the idea that it can that it could sort of like that it's that that it sort of creates two offshoots and they're and they both are so different even as they kind of intertwine back around each other as time goes by but this idea of like like your like extreme vulnerability being exposed in this profound way that that other kids your age aren't experiencing but that that somehow there may also be this sort of world weariness and and cynicism that feels hard um which I'm basically just describing like all the great characters in life and literature, which is, guess what? Two people can be many things. A person can be many things, not just two people uh, at the same time. But that in particular, I think the idea of, and the reason I say that is that's what struck me when you said, you know, here here you were the girl who was, and I assume it's because wait, did you were your parents like, stop seeing so much of each other? Or were you just like, this has nothing to do with that. I just don't like my living situation and I'm in love with someone who says he'll run away with me? Uh, what, yeah, a little bit of both. Yeah. is ju- just, the, just the idea of that you would kind of make go as far as to make preparations and don't think I'm not going to ask you what those supplies were. Uh, <laughs> But also, but but then to also have this realization that, you know, friends of mine who who fully did run away, like one of my best friends and her boyfriend ran away to Los Angeles uh, during high school. And, you know, um, that just seemed like the most crazy, exotic thing that anybody could do. Um, they They did that because their brains didn't at some point go, maybe you won't survive this. So the idea that 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 to me, that's like, you know, that that that. There's the amber that goes like, yeah, I can fucking deal with this. Listen, I've lived everywhere already. I think I know a little bit about what's outside of this city I'm living in now. And then also like, ooh, maybe I, you know what can happen is death. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got, I've got a little bit of um, realism mixed in that probably has saved my life a few times. I think on paper, I've always, I, I think on paper, when you, when you look at how much I moved around and if, you know, there's obviously a lot I'm not, I, I don't talk about, um, but I, I feel like I should have been found dead in a gutter probably by age 22, mm. but I was determined not to let, especially like the stepdad, that pissed me off. So I was really determined not to let, uh, anybody see me fail or yeah. or even I'm big on I don't mind failing what I mind is not trying so I'm I've always like if I get something in my head I have to do it it has to happen so in college I uh, didn't get a scholarship I wanted so I started my own music zine and because of that music zine I ended up becoming a an arts and entertainment editor at Iowa's second largest newspaper before I graduated college. So there were all these wow. decisions I made that that just came from this fear of not doing. I don't remember where that started, but I... Welcome to my every yeah. <laughs> sentence. 
every sentence. Well, yeah, uh, you're the person that is, you know, we, we are sort of the flip side of one another because I was very much this sort of soft kid who, you know, protected myself through sarcasm. But also, like, if someone told me I was bad at something, I was like, you're right, I am super bad at this. I'm never going to do it again. And then I would just abandon whatever it was as quickly as possible to run away from a feeling of failure. So, um I'm always, I'm always, I, I have a real sense of, of sort of appreciation and envy for people who allow a bad thing to get them angry and get them moving yeah. um, rather than just like sort of wilting away and, you know, self-flagellating or whatever, which is, I think, what I was inclined to do and like hated myself for, you know, that's not something that I, I was proud of by well, any stretch I mean, of the imagination. Everybody has their path and I'm, I'm, I think you've done okay if if you want my <laughs> reassurance you know no you're right i hear what you're saying i'm garbage and uh, <laughs> uh oh god uh, so i started teaching journalism to college students and i i told them my my two mantras are uh just fucking do it and done is better than perfect because a lot of times we don't we don't finish things because we're oh, so yeah. hard on ourselves that it won't be totally perfect. Well, you know what? You have to get out that shitty first draft, you know? So oh, those are those are my oh and and I also my other one that my son has even started saying is stick your landing. You know, you make a choice, you fucking do it. Yeah. You move on. <laughs> so. No, that's great. I I feel like I, I don't want to blame anyone else because I'm sure that that message was out there for me and I just couldn't hear it. But I've but but if I wanted to be a shit about it, I could say, you know, like, I wish I just wish I would have heard that more as a, you know, as a young person, because I did, you know, did have that. It's the grossest combination is when you think you're special, but you're so afraid to find out that you're not special that you don't try like, that's just a gross, it's like, how can you be that narcissistic and that insecure and sort of like, oh, well, that's what someone, remember when my, a friend of mine got into the program, his like big takeaway was, you know, narcissism still can mean that, that like, you think the world revolves around you and you're a piece of shit. Like, you can still, <laughs> you can be a narcissist and absolutely hate yourself, but all you want to do is hate yourself and hear about other people hating you. Like, oh, that's terrifying and probably very true in many cases. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't think it, it is harmful to acknowledge messages that would have helped us because, you know, the missteps I've taken, if I see somebody else looking like they are taking that. I, I always do, you know, I'm going to support whatever you choose. I just want you to know that you're better than you think you are, you know, like that's yeah. my, I, I always, I'm just going to say it once, that guy's a dick, <laughs> but I will support you if you stay with it. all of that. Everybody needs to hear that stuff. And, you know, the, the younger generations won't hear it if we don't say it. So it doesn't hurt. Well, there you go. God, saying I will still support you is such a key piece because I, I think I've, not many times, but I've totally been the person that like couldn't not be vehement about something and been like, you listen to me. Now he's an alcoholic and I see, you know, and if you don't, if you pursue this relationship, I just don't know. And then like two years later, I wonder why I haven't heard from someone and it turns out they married that person. <laughs> like, I'm not, 
there there's no room for me in their lives if I say this is a horrible mistake and and I don't say the unspoken which for me is like of course I'll still love you of course I want to be I would rather be around if I can you know through this or whatever but not saying that in the moment can definitely turn somebody off and have that person go like well I guess I'll never tell you that I got back together with this person and you know like oh goodbye okay yeah there was absolutely in my in my 20s I I was as damaged as I think I've ever been and I I would have been more in that category and completely unapologetic about it and say okay well then fuck you Um, but I have uh, I'd like to think I've grown a bit oh oh it's time for a quick break I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun oh hey wonderfuls slash janitors. It's Janet, and I am recording this little special bulletin for the podcast because I am ever eager to support Max Fun in in any way that I can, and I feel that you probably feel the same. If you are a listener to this podcast, you are most likely a listener to other Max Fun Network podcasts, and if you are alive on this earth at this moment, you also know that things have gotten a little kooky for us all. So in an effort to continue to support the network, to continue to make great content for you guys to enjoy and to uh, bring in income so that hopefully those of you who love the network wish you could be supporting it but aren't able to right now for very justifiable reasons uh, have the option to help in another way. That is why I'm asking you to beginning on April 24th, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash ad survey MaximumFun dot org slash a-d-s-u-r-v-e-y did i forget how to spell survey for a second sure i did these are crazy times and fill out a a a quick little survey it's going to help max fun figure out which advertisers are a good fit for you the wonderful audience uh of course max fun is still a primarily audience supported uh network and it will always be the case but if there's a way that we can uh, supplement and continue to support the wonderful staff at Max Fun and our podcasters, uh, I'm excited to do that and facilitate it any way I can. So if you can take a second to, to, to fill it out, MaximumFun.org slash ad survey, I will certainly appreciate it, as I know all of the other Max Fun podcast family members will, too. Wishing you well, be safe, and sending virtual hugs. So I want to start with a smash game. I'm going to first give you a category of, um, well, this feels loaded, but uh, how about three that, you know, you mentioned earlier that you would like to be able to write the endings to certain real life stories, um, which isn't to say necessarily even pick what the endings are, but just to know them. Um, How about three mysteries uh, that either are personal to you or just are broad enough that, you know, everybody wants to know who killed JFK. Everyone knows who killed JFK. <laughs> Don't lie to yourselves. Um, uh, that, that you, that in this, uh, alternate universe, you, you will have answers to, and they will be the, the truth. Okay. First would be Beth Andes. She's the yep. victim at the center of season one of Accused. Uh, the second would be, there was a case I covered in Detroit her name was Nevea Buchanan. She was a five-year-old girl, um, and uh, she was found buried next to a river and 
I, I can't wrap my head around what happened and nobody's mm-hmm. been charged. And then probably like, I really would like to know what happened to Amelia Earhart. Yeah. <laughs> that is one that just has bothered me since I was a child. So yes. Yeah. If I could find that out, I, I think that would feel good. Oh, listen, we'd all thank you. We'd all <laughs> thank you. Uh, okay, next category, uh, let's do three bands, singer-songwriters, composers, um, three types of music or musicians that in this alternate universe, they're composing sort of your own soundtrack. Whatever that means to you at any given moment, they're providing this sort of unique original music that accompanies you through your very moods. All right, all right. Uh, Tom Petty. Right. Bobby Darren and Ani DeFranco. The classic three. <laughs> the classic three. If I have to hear Bobby Darren and Ani DeFranco mentioned back to back one more time. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, okay. Let's do three. Let's do three books or movies that you can grab your son and sort of jump into almost like the chalk in the Mary Poppins drawings uh, in the Julie Andrews movie. But it's got to be, it's got to be kid appropriate. Uh, it's going to be kid appropriate. Goonies. Great. Uh, I don't know why, but I really liked Big Hero 6. I could watch that all the time. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, I love me some Baymax. Let's see another one from childhood. I'm gonna yeah I, I'm gonna go with something more modern. I really like Coco too, and I could watch that oh, over great. and over. I haven't I, I haven't seen Coco. Somehow that was one that I was like I gotta see this in the theater. And then when that didn't happen, I was like oh <laughs> I failed. Um, I gotta still see it. Yeah, my kid was on my lap in the theater, and he turned. Why are you crying, mommy? <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I've been so well then maybe that's for the best that I didn't see it because I was you know I have those those moments like seeing up in a movie theater and just feeling rage at the amount of of sobbing that I was doing (laughs) like I was so angry that I had made the decision because I was like well now I'm invested I'm gonna stay but it's like 10 minutes in and I'm (laughs) you know just blubbering blubbering that's how Um, I cry too it's always a mixture of laughing and crying because I laugh at myself for crying same same which usually means more projectile snot so um <laughs> yeah definitely an issue okay good so now i know it was a good for me not to see it in the theater god damn it i'm gonna watch it uh at home coco great uh next category let's do three writers that from any era any age any type of writer that you in this alternate universe uh bending time and space get to collaborate with on something something meaningful to you kurt vonnegut He'd be like, I can't write the world you're living in. Yeah, no kidding. It's too hackneyed. Yeah, and I'm not sure he would like a partner, but, but you know, this is my fantasy. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, let's see. I have to, I really, so I'm reading Potter, but the reason I'm reading Potter is because I really like Rowling's uh, detective series. Yeah, me too. I would love to see how she works, so that would, that would be fun. Um, and then, hmm, it, it's a little tough because some of the authors I loved when I was a kid, I don't like anymore. Like politically, mm-hmm. I realize they're problematic. Mm-hmm. Hmm. There's a book called Ishmael uh, by Daniel Ishmael. Quinn. 
that wow. uh, that kind of changed how I. It helped with my rebellion. So I, I would, ooh, but then there's Herman Hess. Uh oh. I'm Damian. gonna go. I'm gonna go Herman Hess. Okay. Yeah. They can arm wrestle. Sorry, Daniel. Yeah, but it's good. It's a good book if you haven't read it. I did. Yeah, I have read it, and I and I hadn't thought about it in a in a little bit. And you're right. It's definitely it's definitely kind of a. It's that can be a real game changer. That book. Um, okay. Next category. This is uh, our mash game. We must stay true to its roots. Three people that you would like to have an alternate universe love affair jump in the sack one night with I don't care however you want to think of each one of these people it can you can say that you want you know a long time love affair with this person but you and then the second person you name you're like just a one-nighter then I never want to see him again uh three people characters actors writers doesn't matter any era JD from Heathers that's I mean Uh, my my sweetie had never seen Heather's so we watched it fairly recently and I was like yeah you know what it was ahead of its time like it was it really was it was so self-aware and so self-effacing and so like break the fourth wally in a way that mostly wasn't happening and now happens all the time yeah yeah now I'm now I'm in my head Christian Slater was my very first like big movie crush oh god yeah my god when he when he shoots his cigarette smoke out of his nostrils and he sort of looks like a dragon in that movie that's what really blew my mind i was like oh my god he's such a grown-up oh Um, i didn't even know you could do that with cigarettes (laughs) uh i I would i i would like to uh hang out with ryan gosling great and as far as i know i'm heterosexual but i still would put jody uh, Villanelle on the list. Oh sure, <laughs> yeah. No, do I have to choose a dude? Uh, no, not at all. Yep. All right, there you not go. Not at all. She's uh, a complete and delight on that show. God, she's good. Yeah, I just, um, I just love her on that. Yeah, agreed. Uh, okay, this is uh, one of my next favorite categories. Uh, three foods that in this reality are either you know ecologically irresponsible or God, when I was a kid, I could eat five bags of M and M's. Now I would feel sick, but fuck that, I want to not feel that. Uh, anything like that. Three things that in this alternate universe, um, don't worry, zero ramifications as much as you want in perpetuity. Cherry cheesecake. Great. I'm in love with. Uh, Brussels sprouts, seasoned Brussels sprouts. I don't know what it is. I could eat those all freaking day. Yep. And hmm, Buckeyes. I am an Ohio girl and those those have wormed their way in. Don't be mad. What is a Buckeye? No, it's okay. Does it have chocolate and caramel? It is. Um, that's my best guess. It's a peanut butter ball covered in chocolate. Yeah, that's what's not to love about that. That's a beautiful food miracle. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I honestly, I eat a lot of them anyway, but it would be great if they didn't make me sick to yeah. eat a million. Yeah, well, guess what? That could happen for you today in this alternate <laughs> universe. Um, okay, second to last category, let's do three looks that, uh, you know, obviously you're rocking your tats and you're rocking your purple hair, but three looks from any time in history that, uh, again, we're just going to sort of equalize the comfort level. Doesn't matter if it looks uncomfortable because it's not. Um, Three looks that you're like, you know what? I'd like to rock that. Like, I don't know how I could do that right now without someone thinking I was insane, but in this alternate universe, you can try on whatever you want. 1920s, you know, flapper style. 
Hell yeah. I also like the, uh, it's funny because my husband hates um, the pin curls, but I like the uh, the 1950s, um, I don't know what you call that, but also wavy hair. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I've no, I don't think I've ever seen anyone do my hair like that, and I don't really understand how it's done. So agreed. Yeah, I, I think that always looks nice to me, and hmm, you know, n- nothing like not done would be wonderful too. Understood. Yeah. Understood. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and feeling just great about it. That would be that would be good for me. I love it. I love it. Uh, okay, final category. Uh, let's do a vacation home. It can be a real place. It can be an imaginary place. Um, three that you would like to be able to just disappear to. Um, and we'll pretend you can teleport there. An apartment in Paris. Great. I need to warn you that you may not get an apartment. You may get in a mansion shack or house. That's right. That's right. Okay, Paris. Um, I went to a uh, key cocker off of Belize by myself once, and that was magic. So I'd love a place there, so Belize. Uh, let's see, Utrecht in oh, yeah. the Netherlands. So yeah, and I've uh, never. That was it. Oh, but did I you... do? Yeah. Well, we got Paris, we got Belize, and we've got Utrecht. Oh, okay. Three. Right. But, do, but in these coronavirus times, the fact that you would continue thinking about beautiful getaways, <laughs> I can't say I blame you for a second. Also, I really just wanted to fit into the stereotype that journalists can't count. <laughs> God, you could check that right off your list if, in fact, you even have a list, because I know you guys can't keep track of anything. Um, okay, great. Uh, pick a number between one and seven. Seven. Okay. Um, if you could, I think I can kind of blast through this quickly enough that if you don't mind, again, just kind of telling people uh, where they can find your work, um, what it, briefly what it is, and I would say encourage people to become uh, Patreon supporters of you because you've been so mindful and considerate about wanting to churn out um, bonus material for people that... Uh, I've, I've, I've like, I'm like, no, you don't have to. It's okay. Oh, no, no. that's nice. But like, I've loved everything that you've done. So oh, well, I, you. I particularly enjoy, uh, for reasons that will surprise no one, the idea of uh, saying, don't kill anyone <laughs> instead of <laughs> don't get murdered. Thank you. Yeah. Don't kill anyone. I don't combine my, my comedy and my crime. So uh, it's a weird feeling. Yeah. yeah. It's a fine line to walk. Okay, so I my podcast is called Accused. We have three seasons out. Uh, you can find them on any platform. Uh, we're also at accusedpodcast.com. The Patreon to support us, if you are so inclined, is patreon.com slash accused. And I am working on putting out more bonus material because what the fuck else am I going to do? And... Also, I want to play, we have this um, graphic novel we did for season three. I can't give you a succinct URL, so you just have to Google David Box, B-O-C-K-S, and graphic novel. It is so cool, and it lays out uh, the three theories on how this man from season three disappeared. And uh, it's, it's tough to help people visualize things in an audio medium. So we did it in this sort of comic book style that does it very well. 
uh, maybe it, it, it wasn't clear to me that there that it was like a full-on sort of graphic novel, but um, I will be looking at that today. That's very cool. That is a case that, uh, God, it just, I would have a hard time. I, th- I mean, I'm sure you're used to it, but being patient with people as they maintain an, uh, a, a, a side that literally scientifically makes zero sense is it would just be very hard for me to keep a straight face and not be like but but that's dumb no but it is it's tough sometimes honestly and, it, and it's tricky too because you're trying to keep as open a mind as possible I don't want to fall into the trap that the cops fell into the first time when they decided they knew what happened so absolutely but at the same time I had a guy tell me recently that um that a mark made by uh basically the bottom of a a walkie-talkie so the mark made by that on a human body was as distinct as a fingerprint no it fucking wasn't (laughs) so stupid that is not possible sir okay well you're just a woman what would you understand about walkie-talkie prints oh my goodness god oh okay all right listen i'm gonna give you some good news okay i think you'll be very pleased with these outcomes uh i first want to congratulate you on your beautiful apartment in belize woohoo key coder i guess if we want to get uh specific uh i want to congratulate you for your uh total badass yet raw heartfelt soundtrack provided by ani defranco <laughs> great because she's not gonna she's not gonna uh, she's gonna look right into it she's gonna dive right into that heart <laughs> and say everything that's in there um so that's very exciting to me somehow I she's done that and i've never even met her yeah. <laughs> I'm very excited that uh, you and your kiddo get to jump into Big Hero 6 <laughs> and hang out in that very cool uh, alternate universe sort of Japanese San Francisco, which I very much enjoy. San Fran, Tokyo. San Fran, Tokyo. Thank you. My bad. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, does your son love Baymax as much as you? He did. I'm trying to push it back and on him. Like He's lost it. interest. Eh, Ooh, maybe kids I can, are so my, fucking fickle. Not to be not to be gross, but this could be a fun thing. Uh, is that Scott Adsit is a very dear, dear, dear friend of mine, uh, and he does the voice to Baymax. And I maybe I can I, I might ask him to. Um, Walt well, email you about this, but how messed up would it be if you were like, and now Baymax is super mad at you? <laughs> oh my God, that would be awesome. And he's like, how dare you give up on me? Oh. Your mom has the right idea. I'm disgusted. <laughs> Anywho, T- TBC, we will, uh, we will arrange that. Um, uh, I would like to also tell you that you, uh, you can eat all of the Buckeyes you want. Oh with zero ramifications and i think that's maybe for the best because some of those 20s style flapper outfits um (laughs) i need a little more give at the hips myself uh but listen you're gonna be you're it's gonna be fabulous uh and you're gonna be able to buckeye and it's gonna you're gonna look great and it's gonna be fantastic um I also want to congratulate you on your steamy romance with ryan gosling oh i'm i'm down with that millions of women suddenly hate you <laughs> as i say that bring it bring it <laughs> uh, um, and i think that leaves us with your collaboration uh with jk rowling oh 
cool. Um, you'll probably make some pocket change uh, along with the, the the creative side of that collaboration. So that's not the worst thing in the world either. Because um, that woman, uh, everything she touches turns to gold that she then gives away to charity. Apparently, she's like the most amazing person. Um, so congrats on that. Uh, and all of that uh, being said, there's also a, a maybe a smaller, slightly more quiet resolution Um that has also come out of this mash game which is the truth about uh beth andes which i'm very pleased amanda my reporting partner would be thrilled we would we both really want that yeah that's a that was a hard that's a hard story and then i'll let you go that's a hard story because um the the information as gets laid out makes it really desirable to look in a very specific direction as a listener and go well I mean, I think we all know what happened. Uh, they're just being very responsible and sensitive because they, they don't want to, because they don't really know. But I think we all know, like you fall right into the trap of like, well, I have a pretty good idea what might have happened. Like, no, you don't, Janet. No, you don't. Well, the way I word it, because I don't let myself get attached is, uh, here's who I would interview first. Yes, yes, well <laughs> and said. And there's definitely somebody I would interview first. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You. God. Listen, guys. If you have not listened to the three wonderful seasons of Accused, I must force you to do so. If I have to come to your house, risk my own life, aka coronavirus issue. Uh, no. Listen I was to it. Say uh, season Amber, four. Yeah. Oh, see. <laughs> <laughs> this is where. This is what it's come to. I'm gonna have to murder people. <laughs> who don't listen to the podcast so that those who do listen to the podcast can enjoy season four, the investigation of what the fuck Janet did. <laughs> Everything has come full circle and I've made it about me and being a piece of garbage. So this has gone very well indeed. Amber, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Absolutely. Uh, thank you. I hope that uh, we can remain in touch when we aren't putting our voices out for other human beings to, to listen to. Um, and uh, and I, I wish the very best for you and the fam and the neighbors and, uh, well, just everyone as we muddle through this strange time. Yeah, back, back at you. I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you next time on the podcast. The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.